Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. We pray it is an encouragement for you today. If you have a Bible or want to download the Bible app real quick and follow along, we're exploring the book of Psalm today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Scotts Hill. So great to see all of you here today on this Lord's Day. Those of you, us, those of you who are joining us online in your homes, thank you for inviting us in. Uh, thank you for giving us the privilege to come into your home to speak to you and to speak to your family. I want to invite you to come back and join us in the days ahead. We've got some plans that we're going to be moving forward with our children's ministry and children's delivery for Sunday morning. We will keep you fully informed on all those, and we want to be able to pass that information to you along as we get that. Well, um, a couple of weeks ago, my cell phone, which was an i iPhone 6 was dying, the battery was given out, the phone just wasn't operating as it should. So I called ahead and made an appointment with my local Verizon store to meet with them so I can deal with getting a new phone. And the lady on the phone said, it's great that you made an appointment, you won't have to wait. I said, wonderful. So my appointment was set for Thursday at 2 o'clock. I show up there about five minutes till. I get in the line, and I'm looking at all of these people who are socially distanced from one another, and the majority of them just walked up, and they're waiting. And I'm thinking to myself, these poor souls, they could have called ahead. They could have made an appointment. They could have walked right in and not wasted half of their day. And the young lady comes out the store, and she's talking to each person, and she comes to me, and she says, sir, can I help you? And I said, yes, I have an appointment at 2 o'clock. And um, I'm waiting for someone to see me. She said, great, that's perfect. What's your name? I tell her my name. And she says, I don't have you on the schedule. And I said, well, surely I'm on the schedule. I called Tuesday. The lady said that absolutely, I've got you down on the calendar. Show up at 2 o'clock. I said, this is the Verizon Mayfair store, isn't it? She says, yes. I said, well, my name's on there. She goes, I'm sorry, your name is not on the list. And me standing there in all my supreme knowledge of having called ahead in this long line, I said, well, what does that mean for me? (laughs) Then she says this, well, it looks like you're fifth in line. And I said, well, I got a really important question. That really doesn't help me. How long am I going to have to wait? And she said, sir, I really can't answer that for you. Probably 35 to 40 minutes. And so I walk away, I get in my truck, I'm doing some work, and they said that they would text me whenever it's my time, and sure enough, they text me. 45 minutes later, I walk to the front, and they let me in. I start to meet with this young man. He says, sir, you know, you can just go home and do all this online. I said, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) I've already taken 45 minutes of my day for this. It's you and me, buddy. (laughs) And so he's working on this stuff, and he says, what do you want? I said, I want the cheapest phone you got. And so we start looking at that. He says, here's this SE. It's a special edition. It's just like your phone, but it's got the guts of the 11, da-da-da-da-da. He said, we got one left. I said, perfect. Let's do the deal, man. You go set it up. So he takes the phone. He's going over there. He's working on this deal. And the young lady that told me I was fifth in line comes up to him and said, you can't sell him that phone. He said, why? She said, somebody purchased it online, and they're coming to pick it up. (laughs) I hear this. They don't think I hear this. And he starts walking up to me. He says, sir, we got a problem. I said, don't tell me. Somebody purchased this online and they're coming to pick it up. He went, and I said, I overheard you talking. I said, so what does that mean? Are we done here? And he said, yeah, probably. Then she comes out and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. The store on College Road has five and they're holding one for you. I said, great, great. What does that mean? 
She says, you just drive up over there, you walk to the door, you tell them who you are, they'll let you in, and they'll do the deal. I said, you know what? That's fine. I'll be glad to do it. I'm getting it over with today. So I drive to the College Road store. I walk up, and it's pouring down, raining. People are socially distanced all the way to the edge of the cover. And I'm standing in the rain, and I'm standing there, and so I come move over here, and then I lose my spot, and people keep coming behind me and taking my spot. So I'm thinking, that's okay, that's okay, they got my name, right? So she's going to come out, she's going to start checking on people like they did the other store, and they'll get to my name. Oh, yeah, Mr. Ortigo, come on in. We've got your phone. I mean, they're going to treat me like a prince, right? I'm standing there. The girl comes out, and she makes her way almost to me, but stops. Then she goes back in the store. And I'm standing there, I'm standing there. So finally, I move up 35 minutes later. I'm still waiting in this line. She comes out and she says, can I help you? And I said, yes, they've sent me here from the other store. And I'm supposed to just pick up a phone. Are you, are you Mr. Ortigo? Yes. Oh, yes, we'll be with you in a minute. I said, that doesn't help me. How long? I'm not kidding you. She looks in the store and she looks around. She says, look like you're fifth in line. So I said, okay. So I wait there. I go on in. I do the deal. Two stores, three hours later, I get a new cell phone. You've been there. You've had to wait. And the age-old question that we've grown up with is the question, how long? How long? Our children learn this at a very early age, don't they? How long till we get there? How long till we stop at a bathroom? And then we as adults grow up. How long does that light stay red? How long till we get that table? How long when this, until this pandemic is over? How long until I don't have to wear a mask anymore? How long will that chemo begin to work? How long before I get my job back? How long before my children return to the Lord? How long before I'm healed from this disease? How long before this marriage is restored? How long before our culture is redeemed? And every mature believer is asking this question, how long before Jesus comes back? See, ever since the beginning of time, men and women have been asking the question, how long? And this morning, as we continue in our series entitled um, our, our Summer Playlist, where we're looking at specific psalms for the next six weeks, we're going to land on Psalm 13 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles, open your devices, turn to those and find Psalm 13. Psalm 13 was written by one of the greatest songwriters in the Bible, King David. And King David certainly had his difficulties and he had his troubles and he had his problems. But four times in this psalm, he begins by asking the question that you and I ask when we go through prolonged times of suffering. We ask the question, how long, don't we? And as you're turning there and as you're getting settled in, let me give you the occasion for this psalm. Because it sets up the entire psalm. It helps us to understand really what this psalm is all about. David, as a young man, was anointed to be the king of Israel by Samuel. But there was another king in place, Saul, who was rejected by God, but who refused to leave the throne. David became famous when he killed the giant Goliath. 
Immediately, he became the national hero of Israel. Everybody loved David except Saul. They begin to even write songs about David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And for somebody like Saul, that was not a positive song. He hated David. And to make matters worse, David was best friends with his son, Jonathan. And David was smitten by his daughter, Michael. And all of these relationships were intertwined, but Saul hated David, and David is on the run. He's been on the run now for eight years, running from King Saul. And it's been a difficult time. And as he's been running all of this time, he is feeling this pressure of how long. How long am I going to have to put up with this? I'm the rightful king of Israel. How long am I going to have to be chased through the wilderness? David ends up finding 600 men to follow him. And they become somewhat of mercenaries. And they're traveling about doing these military expeditions. Their families settle in this little town called Ziklag. And all the men's wives and children and their possessions are there. While David takes his men on this military expedition, all of a sudden some enemies come in and they maraud the area. They destroy Ziklag. They burn it to the ground. They take all the wives of the men and the children, including David's, and they haul them off to another place. When the men come back to Ziklag, everything's burned. Their family's gone. And they are all distressed. But they turn their anger to David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, you will find that the men who followed David wanted to stone him because they blamed him for all the problems. And it is through that event that David pins the words of Psalm 13. It is through that event that he begins to pin these words through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Join me as we pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. We pray that he would take these words today and illuminate our thoughts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. David's at the end of his rope. He's emotionally spent. He's spiritually worn out. He is physically exhausted. This prolonged running for eight years, the king is after him, his enemies are after him, even his men want him dead. And David has hit the low spot in his life. He is discouraged, he is depressed. And he's asking the question, how long? And in this psalm, there's something that happens. There's a movement in this psalm. There are three parts to this psalm. The first two verses, the the verses three and four, and five and six, and each one of them will take you through a movement. And the psalm begins with sighing, but it ends with singing. 
How is it that somebody who's been on the run in pain for eight years can move from sighing to singing? We find the secret as we look at this in David's life. And what we see in David's life is he learns how to trust God in the darkness. He learns how to move from sighing to singing. And I think this is a word for us today of where we are because we're tired. Many of us are emotionally worn out. Some of us are spiritually drained. Some of us are physically tired. Some of us are really discouraged. Some of us are maybe even into that area of depression. And here's a word for us in the midst of all of this is how do we move from sighing to singing? David teaches us three things. And I love what we see here in this psalm. Number one, I must be honest with God about my problems. I must be honest with God about my problems. Now you might say that sounds a little odd, Phil, that we should be honest with God, but think about it. A lot of times people will ask us, how are you feeling today? And what do we tell them? I'm fine. And we might be dying inside. We even do the same thing when we pray sometimes. We're speaking to God and we don't even deal honestly with God. Because we think we want to put on this facade. Oh yeah, Father, I'm fine if you just do this. And God sees everything of our heart and he knows we're broken. We need to be honest about our problems. David was listening to the gut-wrenching, raw emotion coming from David as he is speaking and addressing the Father. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Four times in this passage, he asked the question, how long? C.H. Spurgeon does something really interesting with these two words. He says, if you take the two words, how and long, and you put them together, and you take the letter O and replace it with the letter I, you get the word howling. And that's exactly what David is doing. He is howling at God. He is gut-wrenchingly honest. Have you ever been to the place where you just want to howl at God? And here's the danger. When we have prolonged times of difficulties, if we're not careful, we can believe false realities. We can start to believe things that are not true. And that's exactly what David does. He is honest in his howling, and he's honest in his feelings toward God. And what are the things that David believed are not true? Let me give you three things. First thing is David felt that he was forgotten by God. Have you ever felt like you were forgotten by God? Here's a man after God's own heart. This is a guy who's been anointed to be the king of Israel, and yet he feels forgotten by God. He says, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? His thought is, God has forgotten me. He's forgotten my name. He's forgotten his promises. He's forgotten his covenant with me. He's forgotten everything about me. After all, isn't he the God of the universe? He's got much bigger things to think about than me. And when you and I go through times of prolonged suffering and pain, we have the tendency that God must have forgotten me. David's not the only one who felt this. The writer of Psalm 10, verse 1, says this, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I want to tell you, in every single human being, there's a part in our soul that when we go through a crisis, that we can begin to question whether God even knows us or cares about us. 
There's a geography in every person's heart where we reach some place in a crisis where we begin to wonder, does God even care about me? And yet, you know what we end up doing? We believe the impossible. We believe that God has forgotten me. Why is it impossible? Because of what Isaiah says. In Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16, listen to what he says. He says, can a woman, God is speaking to Isaiah, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will, what? Not forget you. So God is saying, And to his children, when we're going through difficult times, God promises that he will not forget us. We might forget one another. We might forget relationships of our past, but the father never forgets his children. Why? It gets even better. Look at verse 16. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Two things here. God has written your name in his palm. As a child of God, your name is written in the palm of God's hands, and he can never forget you. Not only that, he continually sees the walls that seem to block you in and to limit you. He knows the circumstances of your life and of my life. He sees all of it. And the Lord Jesus doesn't forget you. Why? What's engraved in the palm of his hands? The scars of nine-inch spikes that purchased you. And every time the Lord Jesus sees his hands, he sees the redeemed of God. You see, it's an impossibility for God to forget you. And no matter what you're going through, no matter how deep the pain may be, no matter what the questions are, you need to understand this. The enemy wants you to believe the lie that God doesn't care about you. And God is saying to you, I will never forget you. Never. You see, it's a false reality. But not only did David feel that he was forgotten by God, it gets worse. David felt like he was forsaken by God. Now, it's one thing to be forgotten by someone. It's another thing to be forsaken. David says this, how long will you hide your face from me? You know what this is a picture of? It's a picture of abandonment. It is a picture of a person looking at you and turning his back away and looking away from you. David is saying that God has premeditatedly abandoned him. David is feeling that God has rejected him. And David's probably feeling, I must have done something wrong. I've done something that has offended God. I no longer receive his blessings. Saul is in the palace. I'm I'm in a cave. Saul is the right king of Israel. I'm running from an evil man. Nothing in his life seemed from the blessing of God. And so he thought he was forsaken. And let me tell you, one of the dangerous things about being feeling forsaken is the fact that you begin to think you did something that deserved that abandonment. You see, it's one thing to forget. You and I will forget people. But when we abandon someone, we willfully turn our back on somebody in need. And that's what David is saying God has done. This is not the first time he felt this. In Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? from the words of my groaning. David felt like that before. And when David writes Psalm 22, he thinks he's writing about himself. But under an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if you've ever studied Psalm 22, you will know it's a psalm about Jesus, his death on the cross, his crucifixion, his burial. Every bit of it is about the Lord Jesus. And the reason the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, sound so familiar is because of this. Those are the last words, some of the last words that Jesus said on the cross. 
When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22, not about David, but about himself. You and I may feel forsaken by God. Jesus was forsaken by his father. Why? Because Jesus took every sin, yours, mine, the sins of the world, and he put them on Jesus. And when the father looked at his son, all he saw was sin. All he saw was the brokenness of humanity. All he saw was evilness and depravity. And when God looked at his son, he turned his face from him. And you know why? Two things I want you to remember about that. Jesus understands what you're going through when you feel forsaken. He's been there. But here's greater. Jesus knows this. That when the Father turned his face from him, he turned his face to you. And the incredible cost of your redemption and your salvation is something that the Father will never turn his back on. You're forgiven. You are not forgotten. You are not forsaken. The writer of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me say that in the Greek. Here's what it means in the Greek, literally translated. I will never, no, not ever, no, never leave you nor forsake you. What part of that don't you get? What part of that don't I get? You see, that's a false reality. And when we're going through darkness and we're going through difficult times, we automatically launch and we howl at God and we say, you've forgotten me. You've forsaken me. And you know what it leads to is the third thing. Now I'm frustrated with you. David was frustrated with God. Why? Because God was not working according to his time frame. He was frustrated. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? Two things drove this frustration. Number one was his emotions. And I'm going to tell you, when you go through dark times, do not trust your emotions. They will lie to you every single time. Because when you're in darkness and you start listening to the negative emotions, they take you deeper into a cave that you feel like you can never get out of. He's frustrated by his emotions, but he's also frustrated by his enemies. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you know how long David was on the run? For eight years? Do you know how long it was before he was king, after he was anointed? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. And in the midst of all of this, he was feeling these untrue emotions, and he was feeling these false realities that were leading him to a darker place. But I'm so glad that the psalm doesn't end there. We see a shift. And what is the shift? It's an incredible shift. And this is the shift that takes him from sighing to singing. And this is the place we need to go. You see, not only was David honest with God about his problems, secondly, I must be honest with God in my prayers. David begins to pray. And all of this struggle, all of this difficulty, David thought he could handle on his own. But he finally comes to a breaking point where it forces him to go to the heart of the Father. In verses 3 and 4, we hear his prayer. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
Least the enemy say I have prevailed over him. Least my foes rejoice because I am shaken. There's a little word that appears three times in here, and it's the word lest. Three times. Every time you see that, it's important in Scripture. And the reason David is crying out, because he's fearful. First of all, he's fearful of death. Least I sleep the sleep of death. They're going to kill me. He's fearful of defeat. Least my enemies say, I'm going to prevail over him. He's fearful of defeat. But lastly, he's, he's fearful of disgrace. Least my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. So what does he do? He goes to God in prayer, and he prays two specific things. Number one, he prays for God's consideration. He prays for God's consideration. I love this. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Consider, Lord. The word consider means to look. It means to gaze at. It means to pay attention to. And here's what David is praying. It's like a little child who speaks to her father and says, Daddy, look at me. Daddy, watch me. And what he's calling out in agony to God is, Father, look at me. Look at me. Watch me. Gaze at my life. Turn your attention to me and to where I am. Consider me. Then he says to answer me. The word answered, I mean, and to hear me is to listen, is to answer, to understand my plight, and God knows it. And the thing is this, God already knew it, but David didn't know it. Because he was trying to do it all on his own. But when he came to the place when he was absolutely broken and he cried out in agony. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you had that kind of prayer where you just fell on your face and wept for hours? We don't do that anymore. You see, we pray for things, but we don't pray through things. And David prayed through this issue. And a lot of times we settle for second best because we don't pray long, sustained prayers that are heartfelt and honest before God. Consider me. Hear me. Listen to me, Daddy. What father doesn't turn his attention to his little girl when she says, Daddy, watch me. Daddy, listen to me. And your heavenly father is listening and looking and waiting for our pleas. But the second thing he prays is this. This is astonishing. He prays for God's illumination. He prays for God's illumination. Light up my eyes. When I first read this, I thought illumination was wisdom and discernment and knowledge and the right perspective. That's not at all what that word means. Light up my eyes. You know what this means? It means to put light back into my eyes. David was so defeated. He was so discouraged. He was depressed. Have you ever watched a depressed person? I have. You can tell that they're depressed because there's no light in their eyes. There's something missing. David knew that there was no light in his eyes. You know what? He had lost his joy. He lost his sense of hope. He lost his sense of passion. He lost his sense of purpose. And David is praying and asking God to, to put light back in my eyes again. Light those things back up. Give me the joy of my salvation that I once knew. Give me the hope that I can have in you alone. Would you bring to me the passion that I once knew? Would you bring to me the sense of purpose? Would you help me to understand your promises and your power? This past week, our pastors met, as we always do on Mondays. 
And I ask our pastors, is there something we need to pray for our people about? And one of our pastors prayed for something that caught my attention because I'd been studying this psalm. And it was Tucker Kelly. And Tucker said, let's pray for fresh eyes. And I thought, wow. In the midst of a struggle, pray for fresh eyes. Pray that God would light up our eyes again, that we would see his promises, that we would see his power, that we would see his glory. So what happens is David is honest with his problems. Then he's honest with his prayer. And then we see the change. When you move to verses five and six, it is an incredible transition. And here's what happens because David goes to the Lord in prayer and he's gut-wrenchingly honest. We see that in this, I am helped by God with a new perspective. I love this. Totally new perspective. Listen to what David writes. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here's what's amazing about this passage. What changed in David's circumstances? Look at me. Look at me. Thank you. What changed in David's circumstances? Nothing. He's still in the wilderness. He's still in a cave. He's still being hunted by King Saul. He's still being pursued. He is still hated by his men. Nothing changed about his circumstances, but everything changed about his perspective. And what led him there was a gut-wrenching, agonizing time with the Father who taught him truth. And you want to know what happens now? He moves from sighing to singing and there are three things that I see that flow out of this. He has a song of triumph now. Have you noticed that? Everything is upbeat. It's a song of triumph. He understands who God is. He understands how God is sovereign over the universe. He now sees with the right perspective, and now his song becomes a song of triumph. That his trust, his faith, his absolute confidence is in God. He no longer has to fear about the circumstances around him. Because the reality is this, although everything changed around him, God never changed. Never. He's the same as he has always been. This past week I was looking at some statistics about this whole COVID and its impact on churches. And for those churches that are doing online and those churches that are also having live services just as we are, we're doing both. Here's what George Borner found out through a recent um, statistical analysis of a survey. He discovered that one-third of the active people in the life of the church, one-third are actively still involved, either live or online. They're committed to their church, and they're exclusively committed to their congregation and their fellowship. Another third is watching online, but is also church hopping during this time. They're watching their services and they're comparing it to all the other churches out there in hopes that they might want to make a shift when things get back to normal. 
and one-third of active church members are no longer participating live or online. They're completely checked out during this time. And the greatest group that is checked out, surprise me, millennials. Completely checked out during this time. Here's another part of the survey. For all those groups, which group do you think is having the most difficult time and struggling the greatest in the midst of this pandemic? It's the third group who have checked out. Because instead of running to God, they're running from Him. And it's in the midst of running to Him is where there's triumph that we have. Here's the second thing. Not only a song of triumph, but there's a song of trust. I love this. I trust in you. Again, God has not changed. And his absolute trust is in God during this difficult time. And here's the last thing. It's a song of thanksgiving. A song of thanksgiving. You have dealt bountifully with me. Wow. You have dealt bountifully with me. Yeah, I'm in the desert. Yeah, I'm being chased by Saul. Yeah, my own men have turned against me, but you know what, God? You are so good. I trust you, and you are so kind. How did David get there? David made a mental list in his mind of all the ways that God had blessed him even in the midst of a darkness. In fact, in Psalm 103, verse 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, I don't know where you are today in the midst of all of this pandemic. I don't know what kind of darkness that you might be facing. I don't know what kind of discouragement and depression that you might feel. But what we hear from David is the reality of where we find ourselves today. And if you want to be a Christian that's going to be set back on track, it begins with a song of triumph that your God is a victorious God. He is all-powerful, and He is a promise-keeping God. Therefore, we have the victory. Amen? We have it. Secondly, He's a God we trust. I can't see what will happen today. I don't know what kind of decisions our government or world leaders are going to make tomorrow, but I know who's in charge of everything. And I trust him, even though it doesn't look good. And then there's a song of thanksgiving. You want to get yourself out of a hole? Well, we pray. We trust God. We give thanks. I would say do this. Take a note card. I want to challenge you to do this this week. Take a note card. And I want you to make a list of th 10 things that God has blessed you with. 10 things. I guarantee you two things. Number one, you will not stop at 10. You will not stop at 10. You will go on and on. And when you realize how God has blessed you, you, you will say, wow, you have dealt bountifully with me. Some of you are in a place of sighing. And God has just shown you how to move to a place of singing. If you're a child of God here this morning, he has not forgotten you. 
He has not forsaken you. He is the God of triumph. He's the God who can be trusted. He is the God to whom we give thanks. Don't listen to the emotions of your life. Rather, walk in the truth of what you know about God. Run to him. Years ago, our family went with another family in his church to Tuckaleechee Caverns in Tennessee. And as we went into the caverns, we went down to this deep place called the ballroom. And what they always do is they turn all the lights off. And when they turn all the lights off, it's pitch dark. You can't see a thing. Man, I'm doing my hand in front of my face like this. I can't see it. I was thinking I should slap somebody. They would never know who hit them. <laughs> you know, just kind of perverted things go through my head like that. And I'm standing there doing this, and I can't see a thing. And all of a sudden, I feel something around my legs. And I feel another little arm and just gripping my legs so tight. I put my head down there, and it was Leslie. And in the darkness, she knew to go to her daddy. In the darkness, the father is saying, come to me. Come to me. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Let me tell you what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to minimize the power of God in your life, and he wants to maximize the problems in your life. That's what he does. And the father says, don't believe that. You come to me. So believer, run to him. Run to him. He's there. If you're not a believer, you might be thinking today, wow, I wish I had a God like that. You can. You can because Jesus paid the price for you so you can experience the relationship like that. And the God of this world wants to blind your eyes to the message of the gospel so you have no hope. And what do you do? You try harder and you try harder and you try harder. If I believe this thing and apply this thing and you can't get there and you're finding yourself deeper and deeper and deeper in a distance from God. And God is saying to you, just call out to me. Come to me. My son has paid your sin debt. Come to me. I'm ready to turn my face to you. Come to me. And I will never forget you. And I will never forsake you. Surrender your life to me. Repent of your sins. Accept my gift in Jesus Christ. And let him be the Lord of your life. And you may go through a cave, but you will never be there alone. If you're watching online, I want to encourage you. If you're don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, go to him. Go to him today. Just simply ask him to forgive you of your sins and surrender your life to him and allow him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Go on our website. Let us know you've done that. Call one of us. We will be glad to talk with you and meet with you so that your life will move from sighing to singing. Church, that's where we are. And God has given us a prescription of moving forward in dark times. Will you trust him? Will you run to him? Will you rest in him? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that pen thousands of years ago, it is as relevant today as it was then. And Father, we can trust you. Speak to our hearts, encourage us, challenge us.
put light into our eyes so that we might see your promises and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Scotts Hill Podcast. Thank you to those who continue to give generously to this ministry. If you want more information about Scotts Hill, how to get connected in your community, or want to know more about Jesus, visit www.scottshill.org slash podcast for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it on your social media stories. Make sure to tag us at Scotts Hill. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.